praises for how glorious he is and what he has done for us. It is good to be together in this under one roof 
giving glory to Jesus and crowning his name with all honor. We are glad that you have joined us this morning. And if you would, as we continue worshiping together, take out your worship folder. In this folder, you'll find all sorts of information about things that are going on in the church. You'll also find inside it sermon notes, which are great for taking notes on during the sermon, hence the name. You also find this check-in card. This check-in card is really helpful for us uh, as pastors and church staff to just know that you are here with us. So if you would take a quick moment to fill that out, you can also do it digitally over the church app. If you want to download that for free, it's a nice, quick way to do it. There's a spot on the back of this card where you can fill out prayer requests as well. We are a praying church, and we love to pray alongside you and for you. And we also love to rejoice with you if you share things uh, that are, you are praising the Lord for that he's doing in your life. So if you would fill that out for us at the end, and then at the end of the service, uh, there are two white tables at either entrance, and you can slide this card in the slot in the side, and that would be a great blessing to us. Now, life groups, as you guys know, are a really important ministry in our church, and they've already begun. They've already kicked off but that doesn't mean it's too late to join. So if life groups are something you're interested in, I'd encourage you to go to our website to check out more information, or you can call our church office to get more information about which groups are uh, going on and which ones have room, and we would love to help you get plugged into that ministry. But before we continue on worshiping in song, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, we are so thankful to be here together this morning. Uh, I, I hope and pray that, uh, that our hearts would believe the truth, that there is no greater place to be right now than here this morning. No matter what we're going through, no matter what, uh, how we may feel, you remain the same. You are faithful. You are good. You are true. You are worthy of all praise and honor. We would not be here apart from you, Lord, You have changed us. You have made us new creatures and new beings who love you. You you have filled us with your love. And I pray that you would help us to affix our gaze upon you this morning, that we would worship together in song, in prayer, as we sit underneath the teaching of your word this morning. I pray that you would work in us through your spirit and transform us. Help us to bring you more honor and glory with the way we worship, not just today, but every day. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're about to sing In Christ Alone, and one verse that came to my mind as I was thinking about this song was from Luke chapter 22, which is where we read of one of the gospel accounts of the thief on the cross. And as you may recall, the thief on the cross was there because he deserved capital punishment for some crime that we don't know about. And as he was there on the cross, he was mocking Jesus, reviling him. But at some point, God changed his heart. And instead of reviling, he started to worship Jesus. He actually rebuked the other thief. And he said, we deserve to be here. He does not. And then he says, he looks to Jesus. And all he can say is, please remember me. That's it. And even though we are not in the same spot as the thief on the cross, when the day comes when we stand before the Lord, that's our only plea. Remember me. It is only in Christ alone and what he has done that we are saved, not because of anything we've done. He is the object of our faith. It's not the strength of our faith that saves, but the object. So would you please stand with us and let us sing this truth as, and as we praise the Lord together.
of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. In the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness lay, then bursting forth in glorious day. life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first time to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of Dare not trust the sweetest frame 
At this time, we would uh, dismiss our uh, children ages three through kindergarten for Children's Church. Just uh, head back to the uh, back entrance. And you'll be taken upstairs for an age-appropriate uh, gospel lesson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for who you are, the great creator of this universe. Thank you for knowing us before the beginning of time and choosing us to serve you. You knew exactly where each one of us would be today, and we just want to praise your holy name. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. You left your home in heaven to give yourself a ransom for our sins. You, who were sinlessly perfect, took the guilt and shame of our sins on you. Thank you, Jesus. Please help us to show our gratitude by living our lives for you. Father, we want to pray for our partner church, Bethany Baptist Church in Peoria. We ask for great attendance for them and spirit of unity at their congregational meeting later today. And we also pray for your spirit to work in great power through their Wednesday evening Awana and Youth Ministries. 
And Father, we pray that for our own Awana and youth ministries as well. And we want to remember our global outreach partners, Dustin and Becca King, serving with SIM in Ecuador, but home on furlough right now. We pray for safe travels as they take Esther to Oklahoma, where she will be for her gap year. And we pray that she will know God more intimately and walk more closely with Christ in this next step of her life. And we also pray for Dustin and Becca as they transition to an empty nest. And we pray for your grace as they begin to raise money for a vehicle to use in Ecuador. Father, we just want to thank you for how you continue to bless us at Newcastle. Thank you for bringing Jared and Sarah Bergen to Newcastle for Jared to fill the outreach director position. And we also thank you for Josh and Kelly Gerber, who will soon be coming, and Josh will be filling the uh, associate pastor of care and discipleship position. We just ask that you would bless them in these ministries. And Father, we ask you to be with the leadership here at Newcastle. We pray that you would lead us and that we would be willing followers. Please help us to be open to your leading. And now, Father, as we ready ourselves to listen to your word, please be with Pastor Kevin as he teaches us. Help him to be unhindered as he brings this message to us. And we pray that we would be willing listeners and that we would be willing to be changed for you. We just praise you and thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing a song together that reminds us that no matter what's going on inside your heart or what's going on outside of you, God is faithful to us. He never changes and his promises are always true. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever
That's a special privilege to sing together with young and old, widows and singles and marrieds, all singing together, great is the faithfulness of our God. Where would we be without the faithfulness of Jesus? He keeps his promises. We'd be lost. That's right. But Jesus keeps his promises. Our God is faithful. It's so good to celebrate that and worship Jesus together with you today. Let's continue our worship by opening uh, your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. Today we're going to examine the defining curriculum in the school of Christ from Ephesians 4 verses 17 to 24. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand nice and tall. We have Bibles. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word today to take home as our gift to you or just simply use it in this service and return it to the tables in the back when you are done. While you're preparing to read from Ephesians 4, uh, I just, I never want to take for granted your prayers. I know so many of you were praying for me last week as I was homesick, and I'm feeling much better. I'm so thankful for your prayers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a church who prays. I'm just so glad to be back worshiping Jesus with you today. So today we're going to conclude the paragraph in Ephesians 4 that we started two weeks ago, verses 17 to 19, focused in two weeks ago on humanity's root problem. Those verses helped us dissect the mind and the manners of unbelief. But today we get to complete that paragraph and finish Paul's thought, and we're going to leave the dissecting table and enter into the school of Christ as verses 20 to 24 teach us what it means to know Christ, to truly be taught inside Christ, and to live according to the lesson plans of Christ himself. So, I know you just got settled, but we like to stand in honor of the public reading of God's word. So if you could stand one more time, We're going to read scripture together from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read all the way from 17 to 24 in the ESV translation. Paul writes this, verse 17. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the reading of God's word. You may now be seated. And I want to pray for us as we, before we dive into this together. Let's, let's pray for God's help. Father, please quiet our hearts. Remove all distractions far from us so that the eyes of our mind could be opened to behold the beauty of Jesus. Every single one of us, Father, we, we want to grow. We want to become more like Jesus in practice. And this text invites us into the classroom of the school of Christ, but Father, we need your help. Remove distractions, give us focus, give us energy to listen. Today's message is full of so much information. It's, and so I just pray, Father, you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to believe Cause our affections to soar today for you. May our hearts truly be captivated and obsessed and consumed with the glory of Christ. And if that happens, it'll be because you're at work among us. And if you're at work among us, oh Father, we will be most grateful. Please glorify your name through our worship we ask. Amen. Well, when Jesus saves you from sin and you become a Christian, you are automatically enrolled in the school of Christ. And the school of Christ has a number of required classes that every Christ follower needs to take. These are not elective classes. These are core curriculum required classes that necessarily define what it means to be a Christ follower by nature. Every true Christian is automatically enrolled in all kinds of life-changing classes, like, for example, cross-bearing 101 or prayer 133. I just made these numbers up, but bodybuilding 203 or disciple-making 303, right? All these lessons are taught by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God as the syllabus. 
all with the aim of making every Christian more like Jesus in how we think and in how we practically live every day of our life. Sometimes this learning comes to us in the quietness of our prayer closet. Other times it might come to us through investigative Bible study or through a corporate worship gathering or sometimes even through the pain of suffering. But Jesus is committed to teaching every one of his followers how to glorify him as we live our earthly lives for his glory in the school of Christ. So today, our Bibles are open to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, where we're going to examine the, the course syllabus for Clothes Changing 101. This class is the class that teaches Christians how to dress for the kingdom, how to practically live as a new person that God has created us to be in Christ. So before we begin, just ask yourself, how do you desire to change and grow to become more like Jesus this week? What part of your life would you be praying that God could change and transform to make more like Christ in you this week? Perhaps you want to grow in some of your relationships with others how you love your family or how you love those at school or how you love those in your workplace. Or maybe you just want to grow this week in your knowledge of God. You want to grow in loving Jesus more or becoming more dependent upon his promises. Or perhaps you want to be more faithful this week in your public witness for Jesus. Or maybe there's some sin habit that you desire for God to help you gain freedom in and and overcome this sin habit this week in your life. Well, however you desire to grow spiritually, this lifelong class called Clothes Changing 101 will be very, very helpful to you. But you need to prepare yourself, okay? Because Christian change is far deeper than just changing your outward appearance. This class could have been called From Caterpillars to Butterflies because spiritual change is first about identity before it's ever about activity. It's about the heart before it's ever about habits. It's about our person and our inner desires before it's ever about our performance and our external duties. In Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, Jesus is teaching us to live, to live the new identity that he created for us in Christ. Christianity, church, it's about living. Christianity is not just about agreeing with some library of doctrinal truth. Christianity is all about a practical way of life. It's a way of living That is like Christ himself. So Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, is teaching Christians how to change so that we can practically live out all the gospel realities that we so loved in chapters 1 to 3. 
Through the gospel of God's grace, he's made every Christian alive together with Christ. We who were dead in our sins have now been made alive, reconciled to God through Christ. And now all those who are in Christ have been made a new creation. The old life of sin has died. Saving faith has united us with Christ. So here, Jesus is going to teach us how to live out this new identity that he supernaturally, miraculously created for us through Jesus. So are you ready to jump into this course? Let's survey the course by first reviewing what we learned a couple weeks ago from verses 17 to 19, which teach that Christians must no longer live like you used to live. Look again at verses 17 to 19. Paul here urges the Christians in Ephesus. He says, now this I say and I testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do. Listen, with the authority of Jesus himself, I'm exhorting you Christians, stop living like unbelievers. Now that you've been saved by God's grace, your way of life should look very different than how it used to look before God's grace saved you. Uh, verses 19, or 17 to 19 expose both the internal mind and the external manners of unbelief. Let's review them quickly. He says, these unbelievers, these, these Gentiles, they act in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And last time, we, we very slowly dissected each of these verses to learn that the root problem of all humanity is actually just pursuing happiness apart from Jesus. Before we were born again, before God made us alive together with Christ, our hearts were hard. Our hearts were stony. Our hearts were calloused, willfully determined to remain in our sin, desensitized to the sin, to the death that sin brings. And hard hearts are voluntarily ignorant, responsibly refusing to know God, and thereby alienated from eternal life, excluded from salvation. This stubborn refusal to find life in God darkens the understanding, making us unable to perceive the beauty of Jesus, which means, according to this, that our minds became futile, meaning they, they no longer worked the way God intended them to. God gives every person a mind so that we would be forever happy in Jesus. God created you with a mind so that you could see and savor the glory of Jesus and be eternally satisfied in who he is. But sin puts us out of our minds. Sin so corrupts our minds that now our entire person is controlled not by the glory of Christ, our entire person is controlled by the lust of deceit 
as verse 22 says. Sin makes the mind drunk on a ruthless appetite for more. The sinful mind now misfunctions. Instead of realizing that my happiness is to be found in the glory of Christ, the sinful mind wrongly believes happiness is found if I could just get a little bit more of whatever I want. And that pursuit of that lie of happiness being able to be found in this world leads us to the pursuit of sensuality or unrestrained self-indulgence. And unrestrained selfishness leads to impurity or sexual sin or moral uncleanness. After all, the impure heart is controlled by the deceptive lies of greed or covetousness that foolishly believes the lie that happiness will finally come to me if I can just have a little bit more of this world. So Paul, in these two verses, has laid bare the anatomy of unbelief. Why? So that Christians like me and like you can be reminded that seeking happiness apart from Jesus will always only result in empty vanity. Church, we ought not to be deceived by sin's lies anymore. That's the point of verse 20. That's not the way you learned Christ. The truth of Jesus sets you free from sin and its deceptive greed and all of its self-serving hardness. Oh, notice Paul's emphasis upon gospel truth in verse 21, opposed to sin's ignorance and sin's deception in verses 17 and 19. In verse 21, Paul says, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. See, Paul knows that unbelievers are willfully ignorant of God. They refuse to know God. But Christians, Christians have come to know Jesus personally. Christians have come to know Jesus intimately. Those who believe on Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension for their salvation from their sins are now joyfully enrolled in the school of Christ where Jesus is both the teacher and the subject and the school itself. Did you notice that unique phrase in verse 20? It doesn't say you learned about Christ. It doesn't say you learned from Christ. Verse 20 says, the original language simply says, you learned Christ. What does that mean? I learned Christ. <laughs> well, to learn Christ is to come to know Christ himself in a personal saving relationship. To learn Christ, therefore, refers to the miracle of being saved. To learn Christ is to come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and Messiah. Just like Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they might know Jesus. To learn Christ is to be miraculously saved by God's grace, given a new mind, which is now able to perceive the beauty of Jesus and love him and know him personally. 
This is what it means to learn Christ. It's to be saved. Now remember, Paul himself had spent three years pastoring in Ephesus, preaching Christ to this congregation. So when he says, assuming that you have heard and were taught in verse 21, he's not so much expressing doubt, he's rather giving emphasis to what he himself knows to be true about his audience. Paul knows every true Christian has learned Christ or has come to know Jesus personally. Why? Because two things. They've heard Jesus and they've been taught inside Jesus. Now, notice when verse 21 says, you have heard him, it's referring to hearing Jesus' voice. It's referring to hearing the gospel call to salvation. Because in the original Greek, there's no about, there's no of. It doesn't say you've heard about Jesus or you've heard of Jesus. It simply says you heard Jesus. Translation, once you come to know Jesus and you've heard his saving voice, you're set free. Oh, you are set free from sin's hard-hearted ignorance. Whoever has been born of God can now hear the shepherd's voice. Whoever has been born of God can now hear the gospel and respond with saving faith for their salvation. Again, Paul doesn't say here that Christians were taught by Jesus. It doesn't say here that Christians were taught about Jesus. But instead, Paul says all believers have been taught in Jesus. That's the word for location, meaning we've been spiritually taught how to live as a Christian from the place of our position inside Christ himself. So don't miss the logic. To come to know Jesus personally, to be saved, is to hear and respond to the gospel invitation and to be united with Christ, to be enveloped inside Christ, to be placed inside Christ so that now the mind of Christ becomes my mind and the life of Christ becomes my life. No longer is any Christian enslaved to deceitful lust of selfish vanity and spiritual ignorance because the truth is in Jesus. The person and work of this man named Jesus from Nazareth is the gospel reality that sets sinners free from sin and all of sin's lies. So let's come up for air a little bit. Big breath, okay? Christian, talking to Christians this morning. Christian, you you should not live like you used to live before God saved you. Because that former way of life is empty. It's, It's pointless. It will never satisfy you. It will never be able to make you eternally happy. Now that you've heard the truth of the gospel call of salvation. Now that you have been united with Christ together by faith in him, by the power of God's grace, now you are set free from sin's lies. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You say, but I still struggle with it. Oh, I understand. That, that, old, that old body of sin, that old sin nature, that was crucified on the cross with Christ 
And that nature is the power of sin has now been broken, but the presence of sin still remains. Christians can still sin today, but we don't have to because the power of sin was broken in the cross of Christ and now we've been given a new identity in Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin. God has now recreated you to think and to live like Jesus. So verses 20 to 24 now describe how a person lives once they come to know Christ And if you remove the parenthetical thought of verse 21, verses 22 to 24 are teaching us the three specific lesson plans of learning Christ in in clothes changing 101. So all who are in Christ must learn three things. To put off the old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self. Now listen carefully. This is important. Verses 22 to 24 are actually first referring to what happens to the Christian at the moment of salvation. These verses are actually describing what happens at the moment we are saved, which then is the pattern and the enablement for how we continue to change and grow over time in our progressive sanctification through life. So all three of these actions, the put off, the be renewed, the put on, initially occur at the moment of salvation as God sovereignly causes sinners to be born again and remade, recreated into the image of his son. All three of these commands, put off, be renewed, put on, Picture the changing of clothes. Now, I, I'm, I, you're a pretty nice-looking group here, so I'm assuming all of you have changed clothes at some point in your life. So think about what you might do after a sweaty workout. Okay, you, you work really hard, you're all sweaty, and you strip off the old, dirty clothes, and then you get in the shower, and you get renewed, And then you step out of the shower and you put on new, clean clothes, right? This is what's being pictured here. But there's more to Paul's metaphor than just cleaning up your outward appearance. Because notice, Paul's here talking about putting off yourself. Actually being renewed in the way you think. And putting on a brand new you. So it might help to think about this clothing metaphor as the changing of a uniform. Because when you change out of one uniform into another uniform, it represents a change in identity, right? For example, think about somebody in jail, in prison. When that prisoner takes off the prison stripes, embraces the mentality of freedom, and puts on street clothes and walks out of that jail, the change of his clothes represents a change in identity, a brand new community, a change in status. You see the same thing when a police officer shows up for work. Police officer walks into work in his street clothes, goes to the lockers, changes his uniform, and the moment he puts on his uniform, he now thinks differently than all other civilians. Because the change of clothes represents a change in responsibility, power, and identity. 
So let's walk through these clothes-changing commands to better understand how God creates every single Christian absolutely new in salvation and thereby supernaturally empowers our spiritual growth in practical holiness in all of our relationships and responsibilities in life. First, verse 22 says the way that you learn Christ is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So obviously here, the old self is referring to our former manner of life before salvation, our unbelieving identity apart from God's grace. The old self is the sin nature from Adam, which the Bible calls the flesh. The old self is corrupt. It's ruined by a cauldron of deceitful desires and lusts that are graphically pictured in verses 17 and 19. So Paul commands Christians, you need to lay that aside. You need to renounce. You need to put off that old sinful residue, that, that sinful corpse of the flesh that, that was initially put off at the very moment of your salvation. Christian, you must die to self and anything that clouds your vision of Jesus' glory. You must no longer let sin reign in your life to make you obey its passions. Your sinful self was crucified with Jesus at the moment of your conversion so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. So once our flesh has been crucified with Christ at the moment of our salvation, now we can experience a spirit-given freedom to actually behold the glory of God and perceive Jesus as beautiful. Conversion changes that. We get a brand new mind. But the problem is, for us Christians that have been given the mind of Christ, we can see... All of a sudden, our, we get a, a distracted by the glitter of the world. And we start to think, oh, happiness is found over here in the world. And we start to, we start to live not by the desires for the glory of God, but we start to live for these self-serving desires that will deceive our hearts and cloud the beauty of Jesus and try to convince us that happiness is found in self-indulgence in this world. Oh, Christians, strip off that prison uniform of slavery. Die to self and keep dying to any desire that will cloud your vision of the beauty of Jesus. And then receive God's action of being renewed in the spirit of your mind, as verse 23 teaches. You say, what does that mean? Well, to be renewed simply means to be converted, to be transformed. To be born again by the Spirit of God and enabled to see Jesus. Mind renewal is the first act of our salvation. When we are born again, we receive a saving knowledge of our Creator. Titus 3, 5 and 6 describes our conversion in these words. It's like the washing of regeneration or the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who renews our minds, Christians, causing us to go from spiritual ignorance of God to now having the ability to know God and to love God and to find happiness and joy in the glory of God. So at the moment of our salvation, God removes our stony hearts of unbelief and gives us 
brand new minds that have moral and spiritual capabilities that we would have never had apart from God's grace. But this renewal of our mind that happens at salvation is not just a one-time act of God that's limited to conversion. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 teaches that our inner person is renewed day by day. Romans 12, verse 2, on the front of your worship folders this morning, teach us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind day by day. So our desires and our beliefs need to be continually renewed by God's Spirit after our initial conversion, if we will ever overcome sin's deception and fulfill God's happy design for our minds. After all, the scriptures teach clearly that the Christian's battlefield is first the mind. The reason we do what we do is because we want what we want. And the reason we all want what we want is because we believe what we believe. So loved ones, think about this. Think about your thinking. When's the last time you've thought about your thoughts? Have you considered recently how important your mind is to your joy in Christ? Whatever beliefs and desires fill your mind will determine how you live. I know I'm throwing a whole lot at you this morning. So sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. I thought it's worth a try. So if you start at the top of the the diagram, our minds perceive something that we believe to be true. And that belief excites our desires within us. And those desires motivate our will so that we take action towards whatever we believe is going to make us more happy. So the old self, the sinful me, believes lies. This world will make me happy. Just a few more toys, just a few more, little more pleasure. The old self believes lies. And that fuels selfish lust, these desires, lust, which then motivates me to live for sensuality and impurity all out of greed. But compare that now to the mind of the Christian. The mind that has been renewed by God's Spirit. Oh, this mind, by the power of God's grace, is now able to see my greatest desire is the glory of God. There is nothing that can satisfy my desires more than Christ and his praise and his beauty. So now the the converted mind that's renewed by God's spirit is able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus as the greatest desire of his soul. And that desire then motivates the will towards transformation and obedience, which then goes on to fuel greater knowledge of Christ himself to keep the cycle perpetually repeating. See, the daily supernatural renewal of our minds is absolutely essential and necessary if any of us are going to grow in greater practical holiness this week. Only a mind that has been renewed by God's Spirit will desire to put on the new self, which literally means to practically live out the miracle of Jesus in us. 
Marvel with me at verse 24. He says, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now again, remember, putting on the new self is first accomplished at the moment of salvation when the sinner is made brand new and hidden in the unity with Christ. After all, circle that word created. This is so important. Christianity is not about fixing up your life with some little bit of religion. The school of Christ does not teach you just how to go and tuck in your collar and tuck in your shirt and comb your hair and fix all the wrinkles. No, 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 no. Enrolling in the school of Christ is about receiving a brand new you, a brand new identity, something that God has created himself supernaturally in Christ for you. So catch this, when you are born again, God restores your inner person and makes you entirely new in character and design. You are now united with Christ so that your new nature is truly like Christ in how you live. He calls that righteousness. And your new nature is entirely like Christ in how you relate with God. He calls that holiness. And then Paul ends verse 24 by emphasizing the truth again, teaching that our new identity in Christ is a result of these gospel realities that God has revealed to us in chapters 1 to 3, which are so contrary to how our flesh thinks and lives. So does Paul's argument here make sense to you? Christians shouldn't live like unbelievers, like the unbelievers that they used to be, Because the gospel truth of Jesus has set us free from sin. And in these true realities of the gospel, God has recreated us so that we think and we live like Jesus. Therefore, we must live out this new identity that God has created for us in Christ every day of our lives. Since our sin nature has been crucified with Christ, we can now, we can now deny ourselves of anything that's going to cloud our vision of, of Jesus' glory. Since our minds have been converted and made new, we can now benefit from God's gracious means that he uses to renew our minds every day so that we might better see Jesus. And since God has created for us an entire new identity in Christ that's perfectly holy and righteous, we are now supernaturally empowered to live the miracle of Christ's likeness in our daily relationships and responsibilities. This is what it means to learn Christ, to make progress in clothes changing 101 in the school of Christ. So before we close, I want to offer some very practical ways now to help us fuel your growth in practical holiness by beholding the glory of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, it says that we are transformed from one level of glory to the next level of glory as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as as we gaze upon the glory of God, we're transformed to become more like what we're longing for. We become what we behold. 
And I hope by now it's clear that the Spirit's renewal in our minds is the key to your growth in practical holiness. You need God's Spirit. I need God's Spirit to renew our minds and give us the will to work for His glory, to live out the miracle of Christ-like love in this world. But if you listen carefully, there's, there's a tension here. Because you've noticed that it's the Spirit of God who renews our minds. And if, I need, if my mind needs to be renewed before I can grow and overcome this addiction to sin, then where's my responsibility in changing and growing and becoming more like Christ? What am I responsible for and what is God responsible for in my sanctification? Because none of us can renew our own minds. Christian sanctification is always by the power of God's Spirit because becoming more like Jesus is always first internal and supernatural. It's not something that we can do on our own. So we need to carefully understand that our spiritual growth or our progressive sanctification doesn't depend on our efforts alone, but it depends on our own efforts only in the same way that the harvest depends on the efforts of the farmer. Think about it with me. It's harvest time right now, right? I love harvest. I'm, I'm a great uh, road farmer. I'm always farming when I'm driving. And I love seeing the harvest come in. But let's think about the bountiful harvest that's being brought in. Who's responsible for that harvest? Well, you say, well, that, that seed was put in the ground. And we know that only God can be responsible to cause the germ and that seed to grow. Only God is responsible for the weather. Only God is ultimately responsible for a bountiful harvest. That's true. But if the farmer doesn't make every effort to till the ground and plant the seed and take care of the weeds, then there would never be any harvest, would there? Because God chooses to bring about the miraculous harvest through human means. It's God's work through human means. And it's the same with our spiritual growth and progressive sanctification, church. God calls every Christian to faithfully employ at least five different means to pursue a holiness that comes from God. These are five human means to pursue a God-given holiness. And as Christians work intentionally and make every effort to see and savor the glory of Jesus through these five means, God then in turn renews our minds and causes us to make spiritual progress, supernatural progress in putting off the old, renewing our minds and putting on the new and of our identity in Christ. By the way, I want to give credit where credit's due. These five means that are in your notes today come from a book titled Sanctification by Pastor Mike Riccardi. I'm very thankful. It's highly recommended. It's in our resource center. Highly recommend that for your study if you'd like that. But here's five means for our spiritual growth. First, you progress in the school of Christ by working diligently to behold the glory of Christ in Scripture. After all, it's God's word that reveals the person of Jesus to me. 
Christians don't read their Bibles every day because of some legalistic habit. Christians don't read their Bibles every day because some pastor pointed a finger at them and said, you need to really do this. Christians read their Bible every single day because they understand the Christian walk is a fight for sight. I have to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And where else will I see the glory of God revealed than in his own words to me? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, church, so that you might see and savor the glories of God. And as you behold the glory of God, you will be transformed more and more into that same glory supernaturally by the power of God's grace. You cannot love deeply someone you only know superficially. So are you fueling your growth in practical holiness by working hard to meditate on God's gospel every single day? The second means to pursuing God-given holiness is prayer. Because prayer realigns my mind with the mind of God. Prayer seeks God's face. Talking to God helps me meditate on the character of God and the beauty of his manifold perfections. Another way to fuel your growth in practical holiness is through fellowship, or you could say biblical community. After all, when you intentionally make an effort to connect with loving biblical community, you will see more of Jesus in others. True Christian fellowship reflects Jesus. It's Christians speaking the truth about Jesus to one another and therefore helping you better see and savor the glory of Christ. Another means to God-given holiness is trusting God with your sufferings because Scripture is clear that God purposefully uses trials in your life to show you His strength in the context of your weakness and thereby transform you and make you complete and perfect, lacking nothing. Finally, we must grow diligently as Christians in obedience to God's word because John 14 teaches that love love for Jesus is what motivates us to obey him. But interestingly, whenever we obey Jesus, It causes God to pour out his love upon us even more, so much so that John chapter 15 says that he will manifest more of himself to us. So our obedience to God is both a result and a means of beholding God's glory. And all five of these means are aimed to saturate our minds with a greater vision of Jesus' glory. So make every church Make every effort, church, make every effort to read God's word, to seek God's face in prayer, to enjoy Jesus in fellowship with his children, to savor his sufficiency in your suffering, and to come to know Jesus better through your obedience. Because whenever you are beholding the glory of Jesus through these five means, you are fueling your growth in a God-given holiness. Because it's the glory of God when we see and savor Jesus 
That's what renews our minds. That's what frees us from sin's deception so that we no longer live according to the thinking and the actions of this world, but instead we're able to supernaturally put off the old self, supernaturally be renewed in the spirit of our minds and miraculously put on Christ, this new self which God created for us to walk in through our union with Jesus himself. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the work that you've done in our salvation. You're an amazing God. You, you, you're responsible for all of our salvation from beginning to end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. But, Father, we want to work diligently. We want to make every effort on these means to know you, to see and savor your glory. For we know that this is the path to sanctification. This is the path to changing and growing all the addictions, all the, the, the sin, all the, the painful suffering, all of this, Father, you, we need to see Jesus. So show us more of Christ, please. Show us your glory. We long to know more of you. Our view of you is so small. So help us, Father, even as we go out into this week, that we would be committed to praying and reading and fellowshipping and trusting you in our suffering and finding more and more ways to, tr- to obey your words and take your words seriously and that we would do that not just to somehow check a box but that we would pursue diligently these means knowing that they are the pathway for a miraculous transformation that you alone can work in our souls. Please, Father, Change us for the sake of your name, we ask. Amen. Would you please stand and sing with us in response to hearing God's word? struggle with sin and through suffering no endurance may we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ to rejoice in trials and be not surprised may our hearts be so consumed by you
please make that true in all of us. Is your heart consumed by Jesus? Maybe you'd use the word obsessed. Are you obsessed or captivated by Jesus? Oh, may our hearts be so obsessed and captivated and consumed by the glory of Christ that we would never cease to praise and that our lives would actually begin to look more and more and more like him in our relationships and in our responsibilities and how we walk and talk and live in this world. Oh, church, we are so blessed to have Jesus. I pray that you would know him. You say, well, I'm kind of bored by Jesus. Sorry, but I gotta be honest, I'm kind of bored. Well, then read the Bible. Pray. Surround yourself by Christians. <laughs> Trust the Lord with your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Seek to take God's word seriously. Obey him. And those will be the means that God's spirit will use to show you his majesty and his splendor. Come to know the beauty of Jesus. He will make you happy. Let's pray our benediction now. We're going to pray it from Ephesians 3. 20 to 21, we'll say the reference together in just a minute. But I know you're a praying church and I know God answers your prayers. So let's pray this while we say it together. Will you pray this with me? We'll start with the address. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all those who can see the beauty of Jesus would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.